Hey there, detectives. Thanks for tuning back in. This is part two of my interview with Taylor Trask about book seven in the Hardy Boys mystery series, The Secret of the Caves. This past month has been very crazy for the podcast, and a lot of that has to do with funding. To help alleviate some of that stress, I've set up a Patreon page for the podcast. Anything you can contribute would be a great help. Between books, hosting fees, and all the other things that come along with this, the costs are really starting to add up. We'll be getting back to our normal release schedule of episodes, but I want to let everyone know that I appreciate your patience and your support. All right, enough of that. I'm going to make myself a stiff drink and listen to part two of The Secret of the Caves. Uh, Yeah, so they see a shadow. Of a hand. Of a hand. And then they hear a groan and they realize that it's Biff like crawling out of a hole in the ground. (laughs) You asshole. And they're like, you're hurt. And he's like, yeah, I guess I've been out for a while, a couple minutes. They're like, no, man, we've we've been looking for you for over an hour. (laughs) We have learned and gone over this many times on the show. If Mitch taught us that if you get knocked unconscious for more than about 15 minutes, you have a really high likelihood of permanent brain damage. Damn. And this kid has been out for over an hour <laughs> with no medical treatment and it's not the only time it gets knocked unconscious in no, the book no um, there's another one coming up but they're all like you good and he's like oh i'm good and so then they start playing around with the metal detector <laughs> just like <laughs> just no. like hey guys no okay here's here's what i didn't understand all their their knapsacks were stolen how the hell yeah. is that metal detector still, still there? had them i don't know did he not did he not let go of it when they went into the tent <laughs> maybe not but point. Chet finds a gun buried in the sand, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. And he says, it might be a pirate's pistol. And they're like, no, this is a new gun, Chet. <laughs> He's really wanting that treasure. I know. He wants... Any excuse. Well, the Hardy Boys find treasure all the freaking time. <laughs> yeah, but Chet wants his piece. After they leave the cave where Biff got seriously injured and where they spent the night, they go outside and they find another cave next door. Tacked on a board stuck in the sand beside the cave mouth was a tattered sheet of paper. Scrawled in heavy black letters were the words, no trespassing. The companions looked at the sign in astonishment. Then Chet grinned. By order of some rockaway chief of police, no doubt. Maybe somebody put it here for a joke. Let's take a peep inside. No trespassing, Chet. It's not a joke. Why would no trespassing be a joke? Especially after they were, you know, they were told very deliberately, there's shooting going on in those caves. Yeah, and then Chet's like, we have a neighbor. Maybe they'll offer us some food. It's a hermit, Chet. No, they're not going to offer you anything. But I guess they do because this guy storms out and he's like, oh, in a bad British accent. They make it clear that it's a, that it's a bad British accent. He's yeah. like, oh, I'm Commander E.K.T. Wilson, Queen's Navy, retired. You should have saluted, but I guess you didn't know. How would they know? Yeah, landlubbers, eh? Well, we can't all be sailors. That's Australian. What am I doing? Yeah, but it's like that. <laughs> Do you want to read his terrible story? Oh, I, it was when I was in command of a destroyer cruising the South Sea as good as many years ago. We landed for water on a little island that you won't find on any map. Must have been over 100 degrees in the shade. So while my men were loading the water on my ship, I sat down on the shade of a cactus tree. Before I knew it, I was asleep. And then they went away and left you? They did. But you were the captain. I guess they thought I was in my cabin. And of course, none of them dared disturb me. When I woke up, I don't know why I keep doing an Australian accent. I know, but it's great. No, okay, so he thinks that they they thought he was in his cabin and we didn't want to disturb him and left without him. I think that's very rose-colored glasses way of looking at the situation. Yeah, and he he seems pretty okay with what happened. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, so did they ever come back for you? Oh, they couldn't find the island again. And the quartermaster had it out for me, so, you know, I, I, anyway, it's fine. I made a house. Had me uh, a volleyball best friend. 
And then they decide to go swimming while he's like, oh, yeah, I'll make his. Yeah, he says he's going to make them breakfast. And then they all decide to go swimming. Uh, after the story, Joe says, Frank Wilson doesn't sound like much of an Englishman. I don't think he has all of his marbles, Frank replied. But I like that even even they're like, that that guy wasn't British, was he? I think he sounded like Australian. <laughs> he seems harmless, though. And then the boys, in reference to this, they use the Australian crawl to get back to shore. I like little things like that. Mm. Using the Australian crawl, the brothers streaked over the wave tops. And then they get back and Captain Wilson is like, get out of here. Scram. I don't know who you are. Yeah, he becomes all of a sudden a crazy old hermit, yeah. which honestly was kind of convincing for me. I'm like, yeah, oh, I was maybe... like, oh, he has dissociative identity disorder. Yeah, and I'm like, and he'll just be that guy that you know they end up saving his life, you know, because he'll be confused or something, and then he becomes their, you know, he's like their um, their sloth, you know, yeah. in their Goonies adventure. That's who he is. That's or... what I wanted him to be. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He yells at them. I want to be left alone. That's why I'm a hermit. <laughs> Very good point. You are a hermit. That is why people do that. Well, beat it. Scram. I don't want you around here, he says. Then Chet is screwing around on the beach with the metal detector and finds all of their stuff buried in the sand. And uh, Biff's like, I could kiss you, Chet. And then they all make fun of Biff for being gay. (laughs) Very dated. But they're like, ha ha, that's hilarious. But I don't understand. Why wouldn't they just take all their stuff? Yeah. They're like, they must have just buried it. Biff and Chet go fishing, and so Frank and Joe can have like a private moment to discuss the case. Yeah, as if Biff around. and Chet are like too dumb or interrupty. They haven't signed the non-disclosure agreements, so they have this little heart-to-heart, and they're like, "Look, I, I don't, be- I don't believe Commander Wilson. I think he's up to no good. Also, why did they bury this stuff here? They must have been trying to get rid of us." And like, and then Biff and Chet come back. Oh no, they they break into. His well, cave, right? Well, remember Biff and Chet were gonna go, sh- gonna go fish fishing. on top of like the top of the cliff, where everybody's like, "Oh God, don't let them do that." I can cast my line on a mile. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "Don't, that's so dangerous." Yeah, the fisherman. What's the fisherman's name again? The uh, Donicky. Donicky's like, "Oh dear, no, no." Because no, if no. you think about it, and you're standing at the top of a cliff, even if something big grabs your line and yanks it, that's yeah. gonna pull you right off the cliff. Oh, it's Wilson that said that. Oh, yeah. They go back because they go back to talk to Wilson. And he's like, I was going to make you breakfast. Why'd you run away? Which, again, was pretty convincing. I thought, oh, no, he does have like multiple personalities or he's schizophrenic. Like, yeah, they ask him about Morgan Todd and he says, oh, yeah, that was my second mate in the Philippines. Yeah. He shipwrecked me deliberately and I had to climb a pineapple tree until the natives stopped beating their drums and went home. Okay, sort of a racist lie. I mean, but he is kind of the ultimate foil for the Hardy Boys. Sure. Like, they just sort of assume everybody's going to answer their questions truthfully. And he answers them in really <laughs> crazy, crazy ways. He just m- blurts out nonsense, and they're like, well, he must be crazy, so he's not a legitimate source. But in his cave, they see a cap. Yeah. A very bizarre cap that I didn't know what it was supposed to actually look like. The, like, foreign cap that they know is connected to the smugglers. Well, in the saboteur, in the very when they first make it to uh, Telescope Hill, yeah, um, the saboteur that they catch uh, left a cap behind, like a green yeah. cap. It's like angled. I I wish I, I don't want to dig through and find the description of it, but it's a weird hat. Yeah, yeah. They say, uh, "Fellas, must have got a fish by now." They yeah. leave. They think Wilson is left. Well, they think he's going to go find uh, explore their cave. Yeah, like they're cave trading. So they go back to his cave. To, like, investigate now that they know that he's gone. To his back room. They find yeah. uh, a notebook with stuff written in code. No, they find a code book. That's yeah. what it is, to and break they, codes. And they find the shotgun. And he yells, you're spies, you're all spies. And they turn around, and he's right behind him, and then he dives for the shotgun. There you go. 
and they go to run and he fires the gun and Frank like gets knocked down and Joe screams, you killed my brother. Like it's so, it's so raw and real. And he goes to like put his hand on the bloody wound on Frank's back, but it's just flower. Yeah. Yeah. This was weird. Well, they don't say it's flower at first. They say a round white patch. And I thought, okay, so he had rock salt in the gun. Like what, what, what was going on? That's just as bad. He filled it with flour so that when it fired, it like was just a concussive blast. I don't yeah. know where, why he wouldn't have just fired a gun. But he is sure a candidate for the booby hatch. Yeah. As yeah. Joe says. I'd never heard that. Oh, there's a lot of colloquialisms that are just little little classics. Fenton has a great line about the mentally ill later. Um, I, I have to remember one. it. So they get, yeah, they get back. They don't tell Chet and Biff about what just happened. I think they would That's immediately right. be like, I got shot. Not like you think, but uh, Chet and Biff caught like the biggest fish ever. Yeah, which is great, like a thirty-pound fish. They just—I love that they can just clean, skin clean, cook them up, just random. Yep, they I, don't. Oh, I guess they have their supplies back now. And it was the best fish. This, this—that's where they're like, and it was the best meal they ever had. Yeah, just some charred up fish. They find the but while they're up there talking to Chet and Biff, oh uh, yeah, Chet's metal detectors like there's something else under here. They find like a straight line that's like yeah from straight from the Palais Paris to the Honeycomb Caves. Yeah, so you immediately know secret passageway. Oh yeah, there's something going on there. I was a little confused at first because I didn't know if the way they describe the landscape. I'm like, does that mean it goes under the ocean? Does that mean like is it just like a te- like a telegraph line or something? I didn't know. I didn't quite put the yeah geography is not extent. a big not very important in the hardy boys i couldn't like we always say i could never draw you a map of bayport and i've been there for seven books now yeah no idea what it looks like is bayport a real place i haven't looked into it Mm. i kind of doubt it it'd be fun if it was bayport new york they've got to have like a hardy boys like festival or something if that's the case yeah i bet they've forgotten by now but they're gonna dig where they find whatever this thing that the metal detector turned up and biff just says i'll get some tools johnny the fisherman will lend us his (laughs) Very confident. I will go demand tools from that fisherman. They show a picture of them digging. And it's like pretty serious hole. Like, yeah, they're above. They're <laughs> above knee deep. Like to the point where, like you know, somebody would. You know, if cops came by, they'd be like, "Do you guys have a? Per- you boys have a permit for that? What are you, What are you digging for? Fiber optic cable." <laughs> they have this weird thing where Chet's bragging about how he's like been a big help, and they're like, "We'll make an operative out of you, like Dad's assistant, Sam Radley." I've never met Sam Radley. Is Dad their dad has an assistant, like a body man? Apparently, um, because Fenton has never had any problem fending for himself. I mean, he's been kidnapped a few times, I guess. Maybe he hired a. A body man. <laughs> anyway, the banter flies back and forth, as the book says. They don't find anything, right? They don't find no. anything when they're digging? No. They go to the Donaghy's. They return the tools. They go to the general store. Well, and they're like, and we'd like to see the public maps and surveys of this entire county. And the oh, guy's I'll like. I'll show you. I'm the mayor. <laughs> yeah. Right, right this way. And was it just me? Or did you think like when he's like right this way so casually that you're like, oh, this is a trap. Yeah, they're going to get jumped. No, he walks them into this nice office. To their surprise, they found it neatly arranged with a desk, filing cabinet, and large survey maps on the walls. Mayor Tuttle. That's the guy who owns the general store. Mayor Tuttle. I haven't heard the word Tuttle since that Saved by the Bell episode yeah. where Mr. Tuttle was one of the teachers. Mr. And... Tuttle. But Joe gets an idea. He's like, ooh, I have a plan. Let's have... I really wanted them to dress in drag, but no. Instead, they're going to oh, no. have... It's Frank. Frank's the... He got the idea. Of course. Frank's the idea, man. They're going to send Joe and Chet back to Bayport. Your mission, he told his brother, will be to get Callie and Iola to apply for waitress jobs at the Palais Paris. 
They haven't introduced who Callie is. I was just going to ask if that was something from another book. Callie Shaw is Frank's usual girlfriend and okay. Iola Morton's best friend. Okay. And we met Iola already in this book. Yes. But she's not Callie. Sister, but Callie is, yeah, she's Frank's normal date. She's a blonde and she's the girl that Frank likes to date the most. They make that very clear <laughs> that they're not their only dates. It's the one he likes to date the most because she must put out or something. That's I'm his not steady. Sure. His steady. Exactly. A good looking blonde. Whom Frank Hardy often dated. <laughs> Hi, everybody, she said, her eyes sparkling. Why the mysterious summons? Their eyes always sparkle. Yeah. I wonder if that's annoying when you're trying to talk to them and their eyes are so sparkling. In the last book, Callie almost died. Callie was, they were out swimming and she went to dive and some evil person threw like a metal net over her and they had to rescue her. And she is just game to get back in the detective game. <laughs> and like no that mention. was the most exciting thing that has ever happened to Callie Shaw. Wow. She had an arrow shot at her in a previous book, but it was, you know. But I love that there's no, like, connective tissue. Not like, Callie, after that last incident, you're ready to come back in. Like, they don't call that out or anything. No. Which is interesting. Chet almost dies all the time. And each time he's like, I don't want any part of this. And they're like, come on, Chet. And he's like, okay. Oh, as we're about to find out. They talk Iola and Callie into applying for the jobs. It doesn't take much convincing. The waitress jobs. Mary... The girl whose brother is missing. Mary Todd. I keep forgetting about the missing brother. Every time that comes back up, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, everything else that's going on is way more interesting. Radar tower and the, like, secret, the weird front. And, yeah, but the missing person, I, I keep writing, oh, yeah. She decides she's going to go apply for a waitress job, too. What if this place is only hiring one waitress? That's right. At least they tripled their odds. And they get enough money from the safe to pay back the antique store and get the watch back that they left as collateral and they're trying to figure out how they're going to drive out there the palais paris people already know joe and me they might get suspicious if we show up with you well i don't see why we girls can't drive alone said iola we have our licenses with us although the hardys knew that callie and iola were good drivers they insisted that biff go along with them as a precautionary measure what the hell like it doesn't work and why not chet it's his car yeah it's the queen. They all drive each other's vehicles all the time. That never <laughs> happens in my life. They're all co-signers on the insurance. Okay. I guess. Oh, and Chet's excited because there's a good jazz program from Bayport on the radio. Their father calls them from the general store again. Oh, but keep remember too. That's when they're when they're talking about their their ruse. Mary Todd's like, "Well, my name is Todd, so I'll say my name is Mary Temple because they'll remember Todd." Which is important because that's the one thing she had to yeah, do. Yeah, she has one job. That's all you she had to do is just job. say, when what's your name? She goes, Mary Temple. That's all she had to do. Frank gets a call from his dad and he yells, leaping lizards. Okay, dad, we'll get over there right away. Thanks for calling. He called him on a public telephone. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. What? I didn't realize that the first time I read it. He ran to the public telephone and picked up the receiver. Dad, this is Frank. What's up? <laughs> I don't understand how phones worked in the past. Dad calls to let them know that Cadmus Quill owns the Palais Paris. That's right. He's a, he's the secretary of the company. That owns the Palais Paris. Yeah. It's all coming together. They're actually, the girls are treated with, you know, respect. Well, they meet, they meet like a suspicious French guy. And he's like, what are your names? I'm Iola. I'm Callie Shaw. I'm Mary Todd Temple. <laughs> Todd Temple. An English name, I presume. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And he makes them, and the thing that really, and this is where it starts, the whole, from this point on, the entire rest of the book is just strange credibility. Because he's like, here, ladies, write down your names, addresses, and five of your favorite 
loved ones on this piece of paper and uh, just, you know, have that there. And like at no time were they like, well, this this is kind of suspicious. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Like they're all like gleefully okay. handing over this information. And then, yeah. And, and the one thing where it's like you think that if you were running this organization and you were this guy and you knew these three ladies walked in, you know, especially after you think or suspect that, you know, this these two young high school boys are causing trouble. You wouldn't put two and two together and think, well, three girls just came in wanting to be waitresses right around the same time everything else is going down. Maybe I should be suspicious. No, no, no. It was when Mary Todd gave away her name. Said her name. The one thing she had And all do. of a sudden, he's like, <gasps> he, he calls all these people in. He's like, you. And he, like, he calls the, the big, uh, the muscle guy back in. He calls, like, his other associates back in. And uh, the girls are like, oh, shoot. I like to ask. As they're leaving, Callie, who was the last, glimpsed three well-dressed men pushing open the swinging doors to the kitchen. Their voices floated back, and Callie caught a few words in a foreign tongue. <laughs> That's not French, she thought, surprised. It's just not French. It's a language of, uh, of America's enemies. <laughs> yeah. Not French, though. Some nondescript. Yeah, yeah. The French are okay. So they get back to their car, and Biff Hooper is in a heap on the floor with an ugly wealth on the back of his head. He's been knocked unconscious again. Again, for this a while. This kid needs to just be out of the game for the rest of the of the mystery. He has had multiple concussions. He's been knocked unconscious twice in twenty in 48 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel so bad for him. Oh, and then Callie, who decides to drive because Biff has been injured, swerves to avoid a groundhog and almost plows into Frank and Joe and Chet. But then they all like... Who are coming to save them because they're coming like, oh, to save them. Shoot. They think they're in serious trouble. We sent them to their doom. Then don't they just go right back to the... Yeah, they do. <laughs> oh, okay. That's right. They could have just met them there. Oh, yeah, they go back to get the watch back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they walk in, and this is where Chet loses his metal detector. Oh, yeah. They're like, where is it? And they look at all the cars. They go back to Bayport to take the girls back, right? I th- No. Okay, this is what it is. They go back, they pay for the watch, they get the watch back, they pay the rest of the money they owe for the antiques. Yeah. And they're touching everything in the store. And the people are like, get out of here. If you're not buying, get out of here. We are paying customers. They are here. They drive back to Bayport. They get burgers. Chet orders three burgers for himself, a double order of French fries, and a thick chocolate malted. I gotta skip past that part. He's with a girl that he wants to impress that he thinks is pretty, and he's still gonna eat like 8,000 calories? He's been through some stuff. Whatever. Yeah, I guess it's been a rough day. And then he realizes that the metal detector has been stolen, because then they go back to the antique store. Yeah. And the guy's like, no, we didn't steal it out of your car. You left it inside the antique store, dummy. Yeah, gives it to him. But I like that, because I have done stuff like that, too. Where they're like, you brought it in and set it down. And I'm like, did I? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I did. But as they're driving back, Joe's keen ears detect a ticking sound. Yeah. And they think that the metal detector's on, but it's not. And they realize that it's been rigged with a bomb. Yeah. They must have a genius bomb maker. And like when Chet picked up the metal detector, he wasn't like, wow, this is way heavier than it used to be. That's a good point. They get out of the car in time. Yeah, just in time. Just in time. They get thrown through the air by the explosion. Their brand new car is just screwed. Um, they got it one book ago. That's why they can't have nice things. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I wish I did. That would have been even funnier. Joe gets up. Frank gets up. But Chet remains face down in the dirt. Yeah. And they realize that he's clearly, he was the last one out of the car. 
Uh, passed they, out from too many calories. He was he weighed too much. Yeah, he couldn't make it. He says we'll have the car towed back to Bayport for repairs. <laughs> Dude, it's burned from the inside out. What are you gonna do with it? That auto mechanic, and that's not the first time, by the way. They already had it taken back for repairs like, after the the oh, crane. Yeah, Remember? the crane mashed a huge dent in the roof. Yeah, that auto mechanic has to be like, no, no more. <laughs> you boys are, you boys are done. They I, take Chet to the hospital. He's so badly hurt from the yeah, explosion. Yeah. That was serious. Yeah, and then but then everybody's like, "Oh, Chet went, you know, Chet uh he's doing okay." Like at no time do any adults, even Chet's like mom, was just like, "Oh, it's all right. He's doing fine. He'll be back on his feet soon." When they call and she's like, "Oh, he's singed on his back, but he has suffering, but he's suffering only from shock. He's going to be okay." What she would say to them is, "I do not want you hanging around yeah. my son anymore." Yeah. Stay or the my daughter. Hell away from Stay here. Stay away from my family. Their stupid, their stupid aunt in the uh, spinning wheel keeps creeping back in. Oh, I know. For no she reason. She shows up and she's like, where's my spinning wheel? And they're like, oh, yeah, that piece of crap that's been in the trunk the whole time. Because they say that when the car blew up, they the, they open the trunk and the spinning wheel is perfectly fine and is the only thing that hasn't been damaged. My favorite part, though, is when they go to, when they go to visit Chet, mm-hmm. their mom is like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to read this verbatim because this is one of those parts that I was just like, this is where I just started laughing out loud. Mrs. Hardy, no, sorry, Mr. Hardy had given his sons permission to use his car, but as they were about to step out of the back door, their mother stopped them. Aren't you taking Chet some flowers? Flowers? Joe said, oh, mom, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should take the patient something, Mrs. Hardy persisted. You're right. How about a fruit basket? Frank suggested. Their mother nodded approvingly. A good idea. Car- or cater to Chet's appetite. He takes pretty good care of that himself, Joe said. All right, all right. We'll stop at the store on our way. It's just like just the fact that this mom's like, are you taking flowers? No, mom. No, no mom, we're not going to take our... God, no. No, don't make fun of us. <laughs> but apparently everybody brought him flowers, so they were sort of the odd man out. Yeah, and uh, when they show up to his house, isn't Mary, like, doting on him? Yeah, yeah. He's clearly hamming it up. Yeah, and this, this brings... First, us- first, Aunt Gertrude is just pissed with them about the spinning wheel. It just seems... It's so pointless. But what happens is, and this this brings us to my next favorite passage, apparently Mary was interviewed by some reporter. So <laughs> Otto at, Lippincott. After they had gone to apply for their waitress jobs and given the this French the seedy French guy their names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, you know, all that stuff, these these reporters suddenly get dispatched to go talk to you know, Chet, Chet Mary. drank it in and lay back. Yes, I guess I am a celebrity, fellows. The reporter got my personal story this morning. Mary made a big hit with him, Chet went on with a grin. He asked a lot of questions about her, too. Wait a minute, Joe said. What was this fellow's name? Otto Lippincott, Mary supplied the answer. I've never heard of anyone by that name on the Times, Frank said. Frank excused himself to make a phone call and hurried downstairs. He returned ten minutes later, his face flushed with excitement. There is no Lippincott who works for that newspaper, he said. Chet, you've been duped. Disappointment, then indignation, crossed Chet's face. Do you mean that guy was a phony, he blurted? Nothing else but. He came here to fish for information, Frank replied. Joe turned to Mary and asked, How much did you tell this man? Oh, have I done something wrong again? Mary wailed. Well, maybe, Frank declared. But it's too late to worry over spilt milk. From now on, I advise both of you to keep mom on anything you know. Like, it's just like... I I also really like that she's like, oh, have I done anything wrong? Or have I done the wrong thing again? And Frank basically says, yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe. We have no way of knowing. You idiot. Like, Frank and Joe's like, you can tell like their true kind of just like grizzled nature kind of 
bleeds through every once in a while, which makes me wonder, like, what what is their father really like? You know, it's like uh, Iola comes up to his room right after that and brings him a, a letter, and they're like, no stamp or anything. It just says Chet Morton, <laughs> another well wisher, I suppose. Chet said, and he tore off the end, blew into the slit, and removed the note. Good grief! Listen, get Hardy's off case, or your life will be in danger. Chet, why would you open an unmarked envelope right after the boys were like, be careful. It contained white powder. <laughs> then Frank says, we'll get Sam Radley to stand constant guard on the house here. Oh, Again. yeah, your dad's assistant that we've never met. <laughs> you know, in that one book that was never released, the Sam Radley yeah. Chronicles. So weird. That we never found out. I want to know what Sam, like, they never describe him. Like, no, I imagine this... he's a big, burly guy. Bigger than Fenton, I guess. I was thinking he'd be, like, one of those kind of Americanized Indian guys who was, like, you know, really, really proficient in some kind of taekwondo or something. You know, oh, like, right. what's, what's the, again, going back to Johnny Quest, what is, like, is, does Haji have a dad? No, Haji is an orphan that they adopted. So it's maybe, like, Haji just grew up. Kind yeah, of like that, I, I imagine know? he's, because Fenton Hardy is more like Race Bannon yeah. than he is, like, Benton Quest. That's true. Is, yeah, you're right. They're going to go back to Honeycomb Caves, but they don't want to take their own boat because they think that obviously they're being watched. So they take Biff's boat, which I think Biff would be like, hell no, your car just got blown up. And it's my dad's boat, guys. I know that like I say it's my boat. And also you have a boat that's yours. Take your own boat. But as they're riding Biff's boat out, they pass their own boat and and the boathouse is on fire. And they're like, oh, my God, we got to go check it out. But I like it that they're smart enough to know that they really shouldn't. Yeah. Well, doesn't it? Joe does. Oh, yeah. Joe's going to dive into the water. And Frank stops him. And he's like, slow down. And he's like, the boathouse will burn up. And he's like, the fire department will take care of it, dude. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. And also, if they're there, maybe they're trying to distract us. You know, like, let's just keep on. Like, Frank's pretty level-headed. Frank's the older brother. He's got to keep his feet on the ground. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do another bingo. Definitely the queen. Definitely. The sleuth. We just passed it. Attempted murder, injury. An explosion for sure. Man, we are so close. If there's a secret code, there is. Well, they had the book. Oh, no, but also the... And the coded message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We just hit one bingo. Yeah. I'm going to see if we can maybe get a second one. Last show, we got two bingos. Really got to spice this up. All right. Final stretch third act everything happens all at once really fast too like a lot of a lot of wasted time dawdling and then just like and just like bang 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 we're almost done here guys we got to finish this book the publisher's like hey it's due tomorrow like oh crap oh Uh, yeah so they sail out and right as they're like approaching the honeycomb caves a bright spotlight yeah blasts out of the caves clearly the ghosts (laughs) and uh they like curve to stay behind the wave so it doesn't see them Mm -hmm. very lucky just barely just barely and they're like oh i know let's go bother johnny donicky and make him take us out fishing and so they wake him up in the middle of the night to be like will you take us fishing tomorrow and he's like sure where are you staying and they're like in our car and he's like just stay at our house they totally knew that's what they wanted <laughs> they could have just waited up well it's it's true because like later on they're like the boys you know breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> it's like knowing <laughs> that they could sleep in the house and they were waking to breakfast but yeah they go out all the boats are named, yeah, which is nice. Well, they go out on the Lena, Donahue, Donahue. Yeah, he's a fisherman. Yeah, he he can name all his boats. Probably like sense. the Lena Four. And they spend the, the whole time while Donahue is fishing. They just lay on the boat and watch the shore with binoculars and watch smu- what are clearly just smugglers unloading things 
and Captain Wilson like commanding a crew of people yeah. to do things. Coming in, going out. Uh, moving yeah. around like an athlete, Joe observed. <laughs> Which, how has Donicky not noticed these teams of people? He heard the shooting. He wanted to stay away. Heard the shooting. Was That's... afraid of gun, gun-toting ghosts and decided just to... <laughs> if I don't bother them, they won't bother me. Yeah, I get so used to that noise when it clicks off. He keeps telling them, like, storm's coming on. We've got to head back to shore. Storm's coming on. They're like, just a few more minutes. And he keeps telling them this, and finally the storm gets so bad, he's like, we'll never make it! Yeah, that was, again, like, the one final, like, really harrowing thing, like, the boys cause. Like, Donna, he's like, we gotta go. And like, no. He tells him that three times. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it, wouldn't you trust, like, the native fisherman who knows those who waters there? better than anybody? And wouldn't he have the, like, self-awareness and self-confidence to be like, sorry, <laughs> you teenage yeah. boys. But he seems, like, genuinely afraid that they'll beat him up or something yeah i'm not sure but it's really sad to say the first truly badass self-initiated action by a female character in any of the hardy boys books happens right now oh really yeah oh that's... i i thought this was so badass because the envoy mm-hmm. biff's boat comes zipping out and i'm like which of their friends is it but it's mrs donicky mm-hmm. who knew who comes out and tows them back to shore what else did you expect from a fisherman's wife that's awesome yeah, I was really happy. She's like, you boys are in, your, in over your heads. I solved this mystery last night. Yeah. Turns out smugglers. From a country that won't be named. That's yeah. unfriendly to the United States. So they hike down to the ravine. And this is the part where I know it's we're almost at the end. And I'm so sad about this. This is the first part of the book that actually like turned the key and for me. And made me be like, that's interesting. Because as they're like staking out the caves and they're going to go check it out, they see a submarine yeah. off the coast. Yeah. How do they see it? Remind me. Do they, do they yeah, see like the light? The Hardys passed the mouth of their old cave and crept stealthily towards Wilson's cavern. Suddenly, Frank pulled Joe back into the crevice of a rock. Good night, he whispered. Look out there. 300 yards offshore, a small red light winked like the eye of a sea monster. But even in the gloom, the boys recognized a cunning tower. A submarine, Joe exclaimed. So they see it with their bare eyes, I guess. Then they decide, let's swim out to the submarine. I don't understand that strategy. Yeah. We'll swim out to it, but it works. What are they thinking they were going to do? Like, break in? Yeah, they get out to it. They're hiding. They The hatch opens, and a bunch of guys come out with, like, a raft. And they're speaking a language that is not English. And the other one says, do not use the mother tongue. <laughs> It is dangerous. We are now in America. So now I guess they're only speaking English. Yeah. And then they hang on to the back of their raft. It's like, you would notice that. You would notice that right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they get into the secret cavern by, like, sneaking along with the criminals. And they find out that Wilson is not an old man. He's a young man. With, like, a disguise. He was wearing a disguise. Why would he take his disguise off? Well, I don't know. And the fact that the boys were tricked by a wig. Yeah. Like a 50s wig. <laughs> Couldn't have been that good. They should feel pretty foolish. What bothers me about all this is that they're going. you can clearly tell this is not 2017 because they're going back into the fray knowing that there's a shotgun in there. But like if this were 2017, they would be sh- both of those boys would be shot immediately upon sight. Like, you know, like all the, the, the yeah. foreign henchmen would have had, would be packing heat. Sure. Maybe by the cops. You don't even the know. The cops would show up packing heat. Yeah. yeah. And would just see the boys in open fire. You, yeah. <laughs> like Johnny, John Dananchi's De, uh, De, wife would have a gun. Like the, Yeah. She would have shot them when they came banging on the door in the middle of the night. 
it's really a sad state of affairs, actually. So many times. But this, the, but this store had guns, and they were still like, yeah, whatever. They find the secret cavern, and they're asking, I think those men might be spies or saboteurs. Maybe they're connected to the trouble at the radar site. I'm like, yeah, of course they are. And what about Quill and Todd? How do they fit into all of this? And again, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's Todd. a missing person case. <laughs> that That's dude. what you're actually working on. That guy who will never find anything. Well, I guess we do find out. And but... speaking of Cadmus Quill, they find a big iron door at like the end of a secret passageway. They turn around and Cadmus Quill has them with a shotgun pointed right at them. And yeah. I don't think this one's loaded with flour. No, I'd hope not. But Frank is amazing. They Instead of like cowering or trying, they just dive at the guy wielding the <laughs> shotgun, right. wrestle it away from him. Frank fires it right up at the ceiling where the big electrical conduit is. And shuts off all the light, and there's, like, smoke and sparks and fires. Really, just, like... It's like a Kingsman move. Yeah, it was really... Uh, it's amazing. Really impressive. And he didn't... The fact that he didn't shoot Quill... Yeah. <laughs> I thought was really an interesting choice. Or, like, hold him hostage, you know? Like... No. Back he, away, Quill. Yeah, he did some amazing, like, Nathan Drake dive, <laughs> tackle, unarm, grab the gun, somersault, shoot the ceiling... Uh, but like when you when you grab the gun, wouldn't you then hold it on your captors and yes. like sh- you know shuffle them into like a, a room into together? that room where you know, yeah yeah and then lock them in there and fire and then turn off the lights something. But luckily and somehow Chet and Biff are outside the cave and they come in to help. Loyal pals is the name of this chapter. Yeah, it really is. Then they hear people banging on the other side of the door and they think it's the criminals, but it's their dad with the cops. And they stormed the Palais Paris, and there's a secret tunnel that runs from the caves to the Palais Paris. And then there's like a bunch of exposition that's just dumped on us. Again and again. Every little thing has to be explained. Which is kind of nice, though, because they even they even explain where the uh, the, the firewood. firewood. Yeah, yeah. It was campers from earlier. Yeah. Unrelated. I like this because usually it's the criminals who, while they're talking, they're like, well, we shouldn't have gone down there. The reason we went down there was because of this. And they like confessed everything. But this one, this is how it goes. There on the floor, manacled back-to-back, sat Dumont and Marcel. They glared at the Hardys with hate-filled eyes. They're the ones who did this to us, Marcel said bitterly. If they hadn't come stooping, shut up, Dumont snapped. Fool! That's the first time that's ever happened, where criminals have been like, don't tell them what happened. Wow. That's how you know they're professional foreign agents. There you go. Let's see, uh, the federal men unfolded a tale which nearly defied imagination. Pretty much like this one. They brought the feds in for this one. Yeah. Morgan Todd was the key to the whole mystery, Mr. Hardy told them. The young instructor had, while abroad, stumbled upon bizarre information. The foreign country in which he was studying had set up a spy and saboteur center in the Honeycomb Caves. Also, they had engineers working on a project designed to nullify the effect of the new U.S. coastal radar station at Telescope Hill. A device was to be raised out of the cave area at night and would have jammed the radar signals. This is so convoluted. Yeah, how are they going to raise the... Raise a device out of the out cave. Out of the cave. Instead, but yeah, at the same time, they're sabotaging the, the radar facility. So it's like, why? But like, why did you sabotage it if you're already planning to jam it? It would have been way sneakier just to jam it. Yeah, yeah. And then they find out it's not, it doesn't even seem to have been Cadmus's Quill's actual fault. Because, right, Cadmus Quill, who had been brainwashed by the foreign spy ring into <laughs> being a traitor, helped to kidnap Todd. But before they carried him away that night, Todd begged them to allow him to prepare the examination for his students. And they let him. This is the thing that they really... They let him. And I was like, wait, I had to reread that a couple times. I'm like, well, really? I don't want my students not to get their final test. And they're like, oh, sure, but they're bad guys. Especially bad guys would want kids to have to take a test. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And it turns out that EKT Wilson is a phony. 
In his younger days, he was an actor who defected well in service of his country on a foreign tour of duty. It's all so weird. It goes on and on. What's funny is we find out the fate of Morgan Todd, but we never meet him as a character. No, he, they like, yeah, we don't meet him. He just like gets shuffled towards his sister, like wrapped in a blanket. He's been being kept hostage oh. on the submarine Do the we? Do they time. even show him though? No, I they thought, don't show him. I thought they're like, later on, they just mentioned that he met that his- That he met his sister at Tearful Reunion. Okay. And then they have a big party at the Hardy's house. Is that what it is? Yeah. And then Gertrude comes down with and her Gertrude surprise. And Gertrude comes down and she's like fixed up the sewing uh, the spinning wheel, wheel, spinning yeah. wheel and it's great now. And Chet gets to dance with Mary Todd. Yeah. And Chet dances with a cute girl, which I was like, that's the perfect ending to any of these books. Oh, man. All right. Well, that is The Secret of the Caves. We're going to do one last check in with Bingo. We got to get the last things. Definitely a gunfight. Yes. A disguise. Yep. Anyone get actually injured? Chet. Chet did. And any red herrings? There was a secret passageway for sure. Red herrings? Uh, well, I mean, uh, Wilson himself. He was. So yeah, that's a double. Look how bingoed up we are. <laughs> this That is an intensely packed bingo board. Well, this, uh, is a great, this is a great book to get reacquainted with the Hardy Boys. Yeah, thing. it's got everything you want in it. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is a part of their network. It is produced by Jack and Charles Wessa, with music by Danny Overby at Round 2 Productions. Special thanks to Taylor Trask and to my sister for making our delicious cocktail. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or drunken fan theories, you can contact us on Facebook or at thehardyboysdrinkbook.com. Remember to tune in next time for The Hardy Boys Drink Book, number eight, The Mystery of Cabin Island, featuring R. Allen Brooks. <laughs>